We'll hear from the appellant. The case is Detroit versus Sabre Health here Holdings. We have confirmed that the appellee's attorney is not coming, so you may proceed with your argument. Good morning, and may it please the court. My name is Brittany Levine. I and my law partners, Angela Craddock and Dana Hoffman, represent the defendant's appellants. I would like to reserve five minutes of my time for rebuttal. Well, there's not going to be. Oh, well, that's true. Now we don't have rebuttal. <laughs> so I guess I will just take the entire um, 30 minutes. <laughs> well, that's you can take as much as, of the 30 minutes as you want. You don't feel like you have to fulfill all of it. <laughs> well, thank Please you, Your proceed. Honor. So as a case of first impression, what's at stake today is not just the Now, you say this is a case of first impression. But isn't the standard in this state well established that the trial court's findings regarding the existence of an arbitration agreement are conclusive on appeal when supported by competent evidence, even where there's evidence that might support a contrary, a finding to the contrary? Yes, Your Honor, that is the standard. And the standard is also if the findings support whether or not the findings support the conclusion. Yes, Your Honor. And you, you have focused your appeal to say that the trial court's findings do not support its determination. The arbitration agreement lacks any electronic signature attributed to the plaintiff. But then when I go down and I read all of your arguments, it appears to me that what you're asking us to do is to reweigh what the trial judge did and make more findings. Isn't that correct? No, Your Honor, that is not correct. We are asking that this court look at the evidence that was presented by the plaintiff to rebut defendant's showing of attribution. Well, when how is that different than if the judge looked at the evidence and made findings, you don't agree with his findings, but those, even if there's evidence to the contrary, it's the trial judge, not us making those decisions, isn't it? It is for the trial ju judge to make that determination. However, for example, in paragraph 10 of the trial court's order on page 102 of the record, the court found that there were no witnesses or other extrinsic evidence to support that the plaintiff signed the agreement. And that is not supported by the trial court's other findings, which are identified above, such as that we presented an agreement bearing the initials of plaintiff, that we submitted our routine practice, and there was no- But you didn't submit anybody who said they saw her. Is that, is that not correct? Because the person who did her admission is no longer there. That is correct, but that is not required by the law to have an eyewitness. Under the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, attribution of a signature can be shown in any manner. The legislature intentionally chose this broad language, which is fitting because electronic contracts can be signed in so many different manners. And here the defendants presented evidence of historically accepted and reliable methods to show that the signature was attributable to the plaintiff. But the court didn't have to accept that as fact, did it? In fact, the court did not accept that as fact. The court found that you didn't present evidence that she signed it. That is correct that the court found evidence that we did, that plaintiff did not sign the agreement, but that is not supported by the evidence in the record. And one aspect that is very important for this court to focus in on as it's reviewing this issue is the burden shifting scheme that applies in this case. 
under the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, as explained in the commentary, um, comments two and three of 66-319, once attribution is shown, which defendants presented multiple methods of evidence to prove that, then the burden shifts to the plaintiff to show fraud, forgery, or some other um, reason to disavow that agreement. And here, the trial court's order stated on page 102 of the record that any presumption in favor of the defendants was rebutted by the evidence that the plaintiff presented. And here, the issue with that is, while the trial court did apply the appropriate burden-shifting scheme, the evidence that plaintiff presented was woefully inadequate to out... Go ahead. <laughs> woefully inadequate to rebut defendant showing. But that argument that you just made seems to me to be asking us to reweigh the evidence and make findings. Is that not what you're just asking us to do? No, Your Honor. We are asking this court to look at the evidence that plaintiff presented and as a matter of law, whether that evidence rebutted the defendant's showing of attribution to the plaintiff's signature. So let's talk about what the evidence that the plaintiff did present. So here, defendants... Well, the court found that her, that her initials did not appear on the agreement until December 30th, 2021. Did he not? That is correct, and that is an irrelevant fact. The fact that is important is that the plaintiff's initials appeared on the document consistent with the facility's routine practice. Well, wouldn't she have had to sign it at the time? Isn't it your, your client's position that she signed it at the time she was admitted? Our routine practice, which is set forth in the affidavit of Linda Collins, um, if you'd like to refer to, it starts on... I'm familiar with her affidavit. Yeah. The process is that the uh, facility creates the admissions paperwork, signs all the spaces that require a facility signature, and then they will go to the resident's room, present it on an iPad, explain each document, offer to print, and then the resident signs on their iPad using their finger. The affidavit of Linda Collins does not set forth a timeline for when that is to occur, but it does occur at um, the earlier part of the admission. And here in this case, Ms. Detroy was admitted on December 28th. The facility, in accordance with its routine practice, uh, completed the form, signed on the facility's behalf, and then less than two days later presented the documents to Ms. Detroit for her signature, which I'd actually like to show the court the electronic note, which is referenced in our brief. This electronic note is important for several reasons. Well, it may be important for several reasons, but if you really wanted to show this, why don't you have Ms. Smith testifying about it? Ms. Smith is no longer our employee, and when there are not eyewitnesses or specific recollection for a particular event, our court system has already imagined that that scenario could happen, and that's why we have Rule 406 of the Rules of Evidence, which permits routine habit evidence to show that the facility acted in accordance with that procedure, regardless of corroboration and regardless of eyewitnesses. But here, as shown by this electronic note. Well, does that electronic, your evidence, does that, when the person says, I didn't do it, I have no recollection of doing it, those are not my initials, does it over, isn't that for the trial judge to make the decision, not us? 
It is for this court to make a decision whether as a matter of law, simply stating, I don't remember, or when you sign with a finger where you just glide on an iPad to say that does not look like my signature, for that to be competent evidence, that cannot be. Did you object to that evidence at trial? We did not object. So you've waived that <laughs> objection that you're now making. Isn't that correct, ma'am? We have not waived. Um, why did you not, if you didn't object to that at trial and say that that evidence couldn't come in, you're asking us to now say it shouldn't have come in, but you didn't object to it and it's not a part of your, and so therefore, how can you raise that on appeal? We are not objecting to its admission. We are highlighting for the court that that evidence can never be competent evidence, not just in this scenario, but for any electronic contracts. I'm sure the court has signed electronically numerous times. Even the documents submitted to this court are signed electronically, whether it's at the grocery store or when we receive a package. <coughs> Many times we sign with a stylus or a quick slip of our finger. What the plaintiff has presented is in the face of evidence of attribution, which satisfies UEDA's requirements, plaintiff has asked this court to say that simply saying my signature does not look like this electronic finger capture signature is not competent evidence. And what's at stake here is if a party can disavow a contract by simply saying that does not look like my signature, we're running afoul of the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act. The purpose of UEDA is to place electronic contracts and signatures on the same footing as other agreements. It should not be easier to disavow an electronic contract simply because it's a finger obtained signature as opposed to a handwritten. Uh, turning back to the um, electronic note, since we didn't get to delve into that very much, um, this is important for a few different reasons. One is that it qualifies as a security procedure under the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act because it is a procedure which verifies the, uh, <clears throat> that the person who signed actually did sign. The electronic note is evidence that was contemporaneously documented showing who, when, and in what manner an agreement, uh, the agreement was signed. So here are well, the- what, Tell us about there was a revision by the system on 1230. Yes, Your Honor. This portion about the revision, the affidavit of Linda Collins identifies that this revision corresponds with the date that it, this capture signature was obtained on the arbitration agreement and admissions agreements. What this document is, is corroboration of our facilities procedures that Jean Detroit signed in person and via a capture signature. The timestamp shows that 12-28-2021, Christina Smith created the documents. That's the date that we see on the arbitration agreement. And then the revision, which again, Linda Collins testified, corresponds with the date that the capture signature is obtained, is dated 12-30-2021, which are the dates of plaintiff's um, initials appearing on the agreement. And here what I've done for the court I've taken the timestamp, which is on record page 38, and taken uh, 
the signature blocks from the arbitration agreement, which are on record pages 48, to show how these correspond. So you've made this document up, basically. You've created this document out of two other documents. Is that correct, what you're showing me? It's not that we created. It's on the screen, the electronic note. You would not be able to see the signature page at the same time. So I've blown up the timestamp so the court will be able to see more easily. And then here, this is um, at the bottom, is the signature blocks from the arbitration agreement. Um, as the court can see, as we've discussed, the dates correspond with the timestamp on the electronic note. Importantly, the trial court did not make any findings, and nor from its findings could this court make an inference that the facility did not follow this routine practice, which is corroborated by a time-stamped security procedure. Nor did the court find that any of the other evidence submitted by defendants was not reliable or not credible. Instead, what the court found is that the plaintiff's evidence rebutted defendants. Moving back to the plaintiff's evidence. And that's weighing the evidence, is it not? I disagree, Your Honor. It's not weighing the evidence. It's whether, as a matter of law, plaintiff met her burden of proof. But it's a finding of fact, is it not, that, you, that, they did, that they presented evidence that rebutted it? That's a finding of fact, is it not? That the evidence that they presented rebutted it, that's a finding of fact, is it not? That is a, a mixed finding of fact and conclusion of law. The trial court's conclusion that the signature was not attributable to plaintiff is a conclusion of law under the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act. And here, the trial court's findings in the face of defendants' evidence, um, and what's important is talking about the reweighing of the evidence, it's not what we're asking this court to do. What the trial court did, and did correctly, as we can infer by its order, because it stated any presumption in favor of defendants is rebutted by plaintiff, is that defendants did meet their prima facie showing that the electronic signature on the arbitration agreement was attributable to the plaintiff. However, where this court um, should intervene and that the trial court committed reversible error is from the trial court's determination that plaintiff's showing, which boils down to two categories of evidence, rebutted defendant's attribution. Def uh, the plaintiff's evidence boils down to two things. One is that she does not remember, and two, that the handwritten signature don't appear the same as the finger-captured signature on the arbitration agreement. As a matter of law, this court cannot state that those types of evidence can rebut a showing of attribution. In Park versus Merrill Lynch, for example, this court noted that when a plaintiff said they did not recall seeing custodial agreements which contained arbitration provisions, that that was not sufficient without showing more. This court has consistently found that simply stating a lack of recollection is not sufficient to overcome a contract. And that makes sense because people would be able to easily evade contractual obligations if they could simply say, I don't remember. What plaintiff does is plaintiff attempts to show a new form of evidence, but it's equally unavailing. Which you did not object to. We did not object. However, we were not required to object. It was fine for the court to consider. However, it was not competent evidence to rebut defendant showing. If it's not appropriate evidence, then why is it not your burden to object to that? 
We did not need to object, Your Honor, and whether or not we objected does not impact this court's decision of whether it is competent to say that my handwritten signature differs from a digitally captured signature is competent evidence to refute attribution. So you have no burden at the trial level then to, to say that the evidence is incompetent? You how did you preserve that for this argument if you didn't object at the trial court? Because we um, objected to the, the findings that the trial court's findings were not supported by competent evidence and that the evidence in turn did not support its conclusion that the signature was not attributable to the plaintiff. I'd like to walk the- You didn't answer my question, but oh. go ahead. Oh, I apologize, Your Honor. I'll try again and try to answer. No, just go ahead and make the rest of your argument. Okay. Really, there are two scenarios because here we have a signed agreement. It's either the plaintiff signed and she doesn't remember or that it was forged. In the case of forgery, it is treated like an affirmative defense under our jurisprudence and the burden rests on the plaintiff to present evidence in support of that defense. Also, um, I mentioned some of the commentary already, but another comment in UEDA that I'd like to draw this court's attention to is comment three, which states that just as with a paper record, evidence of forgery or counterfeiting may be introduced to rebut the evidence of attribution. However, that evidence still must be competent. A concern with saying that a digitally captured signature can be compared to a handwritten in order to refute attribution would have dire consequences on our commerce. We rely on electronic <coughs> contracts and signatures in nearly every aspect of life. What could happen if someone is able to say, that doesn't look like my signature? Are people going to now move even quicker when they sign documents? What burden is that going to impose on businesses, especially small businesses, to have to establish more than what they currently do to show attribution? If the trial court order stands, many businesses will have to reevaluate their electronic contracting and implement additional processes beyond what the text of the governing law requires. What the law requires is that attribution may be shown in any manner. Plaintiff's uh, brief to this court is asking the court to say, no, the language is not any manner, it's direct evidence. And that runs afoul of both the Federal Arbitration Act, the North Carolina Revised Uniform Arbitration Agreement, as well as the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act. Because UEDA does not state that there's a particular method that evidence can be shown of attribution, it instead says any manner. Plaintiff's position that direct evidence is required turns that on its head. There are no statutes in North Carolina that require an arbitration agreement to have an eyewitness or to have a specific showing. That is for the legislature to determine as it has in other instances, whether it wants to require more than the standard contracting. As this court knows, after the implementation of the FAA and North Carolina's Arbitration Act, 
arbitration agreements are placed on equal footing with other contracts and are to be evaluated consistent with principles. As this court noted in Park, if you implement a burden on arbitration agreements that is inconsistent with how we typically review the standard contract, that runs afoul of the FAA and is not permissible. Plaintiff's position is in complete contradiction of this court's um, statement in Park, as well as other cases and where this court has affirmed that arbitration agreements are to be held on equal footing. <coughs> Similar to how the FAA and the North Carolina Revised Uniform Arbitration Act were put in place for arbitration agreements to be held on equal footing, the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act was also enacted to ensure that electronic agreements are held to the same standards and treated the same as pen and paper contracts. To permit an argument that I don't remember, which has never been held sufficient for pen and paper contracts, or to say that a comparison between signatures is competent, runs afoul of the policy <laughs> and unambiguous text of UEDA. I would like to go back to um, walk this court through how the defendants proved that the signature was attributable to plaintiff. We focused a bit on how the plaintiff was not able to rebut that, but I wanna make sure the court has a good understanding of what defendants presented to the trial court. We've talked a bit about the routine practice as well as the electronic note. We also presented evidence that of an affidavit of a records custodian where the custodian attested that the business records, which were the arbitration agreement and other admissions agreements were true and authentic business records. Business records have generally been held to be inherently reliable. And this court has stated in State versus Young that they have a guarantee of trustworthiness. There is no finding in the trial court's order, nor an inference that this court could make from the trial court's findings that these documents were <coughs> not reliant, um, inherently reliable or trustworthy. And then finally, we also showed that this process was also consistent with plaintiff's admission in 2019. In 2019, plaintiff executed similar documents, nearly identical, that were signed, and the trial court made a finding, and plaintiff conceded in her affidavit that, those, that she did execute the 2019 admissions agreements and arbitration agreement. And those have signatures on them, don't they? Those have electronic signatures on them, don't they? Yes, Your Honor. They and, have and the court could compare those electronic signatures to what you presented in this one, could it not? We contend that it is never appropriate to compare electronic with electronic or electronic with handwritten signatures because there are so many well, different... I, I just was, while you were talking, I was, I was listening, but I was also looking through your, your evidence. And I was looking through your documents that you are now referencing where they seem to have electronic signatures of the plaintiff and there seem to be electronic signatures written out, are they not? That is correct, Your Honor. And they don't look anything like, as the trial court found, like the initials that are on this one. Yes, the trial court found that the signature two years prior obtained electronically did not look like 
the electronic signature from 2021, but that's not surprising, and that's also not competent evidence to refute defendant's showing of attribution. It is inherently unreliable to make a comparison between signatures captured digitally. It's because there are many different mediums. Even if it's the same person's signature on the same type of document. In this case, the evidence shows that upon Ms. Detroit's admission in 2021, she had a hospital stay. For all we know, because her affidavit doesn't speak to this, it's very possible that she just wanted to, this time, use a glide of a finger that so many of us use on a regular basis, like when we're at the grocery store or we're signing for a package. The fact that Ms. Detroit signed her full name in 2019 does not mean that her initials in 2021 are invalid. Very similar to the UCC, UEDA defines an electronic signature as any mark that can be logically associated with a document. <coughs> and here we have plaintiff's initials, which the trial court found they do bear plaintiff's initials, and they, we presented evidence that it was attributable to her. Before your question, uh, Your Honor, I was starting to say, uh, with the fact that she signed in 2019, it's interesting that the plaintiff's affidavit does not state any reason why she would not want to sign these agreements in 2021. Also, it's not just an arbitration agreement that bears the same electronic signature. It's all the other admissions documents. And so if plaintiff's position is accepted by this court, this court would have to determine that for whatever reason, the facility decided not to follow its routine practice, somehow was able to manipulate the electronic note, which is time-stamped, did all this prior to litigation arising because it was dated December 30th, and that the facility chose to just use her initials and sign not just the arbitration agreement, but all other admissions documents, some of which require input by the plaintiff. For example, one of the documents on page 98 of the record is for consent for physician treatment. Plaintiff has presented no evidence why the facility would have forged the additional documents. The Uniform Electronic Transactions Act dictates that electronic signatures can be shown in any manner. And twisting the statute, plaintiff's position that the trial court's order to allow an electronic signature to be disproven by lack of recollection and an inherently unreliable and uncredible comparison between digital and handwritten signatures undercuts the purpose of UEDA. Well, now, but her signatures on the initial documents were not, those were also electronic, were they not? Yes, Your Honor. On 2019, those, um, her signature was captured digitally. However, as I mentioned a moment ago, there are so many different circumstances for as to why when someone is signing with a finger on their tablet, and depending on the size of the tablet, how they're feeling that day, whether they want to do what <coughs> I often do, which is a quick glide, or to fully sign the agreement. 
For the reasons we've discussed today, as well as for the reasons identified in our brief, in our briefs, we ask that this court reverse the trial court's determination that a valid arbitration agreement does not exist. Thank you. Thank you. Very good argument.